0: Um, Let's begin our time in the Word today with the Lord's Prayer. And uh, I know you just got seated, so I won't ask you to stand, but let's blend our hearts together as we look to the screen and pray the Lord's Prayer together. Are you ready? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you. Let's keep our hearts open to what the Lord is saying and doing in our midst today, the preciousness of his word. Um, Today, we are looking at the second foundation stone for living, which is the second commandment. Now, if you just remember your list from Sunday school long ago, you may remember this commandment. Sounding like this, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And that's from the King James. That's a good way to remember them. But uh, we, we want to focus not only on the second commandment, which is no room for idols. Uh, remember last week, we, or last uh, month, we talked about the one true God, commandment number one. And you remember years ago when we were teaching your children the ten commandments. I'm doing this to remind you so you can stay up with your kids We had finger meanings for each of the commandments. And you remember the first commandment meant God. There's one God. There's no other God. He's the only God. Number two, these were scissors that our kids often used to make things. And we were reminding ourselves and reminding our kids, don't make anything that you end up worshiping. Because I'll tell you this, anything that is made by someone else is subject to some other power. And we serve a God that cannot be made with um, with human hands. The scripture through the prophet Jeremiah said, they have eyes, talk about idols, but they cannot see. They have ears, but they cannot hear. They have mouths, but they cannot speak. They have legs, but they cannot move. They have hands, but they cannot help. But we serve the one true and the living God. Now the last one that we looked at. The first foundation stone was the word embrace or the idea of embracing. Commandment number one tells us to embrace the Lord our God, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second stone, it tells us that not only do we embrace something, but we are to reject something. It's, it's not enough, hear me loved ones, it's not enough to just say, oh yeah, I believe in God. He's the big man upstairs and you know, whatever you want that higher power to be. No, it's not enough to just give an acknowledgement of a divine power. We must also reject false notions of what that divine power looks like. And that's what we wanna focus on a little bit today. So we're introducing the second foundation stone. Not only do I embrace something, but I reject something. Now, we're going to read the commandments again. Our focus today is going to be in verses 4 through 6 of the Exodus account. I'm going to skip down under the building blocks on your outline and start reading there. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, or that means that doesn't mean I've just got to be number one in all your gods, but it means no other gods in place of me. Now, that was the stone number one. And verses four through six are what we're going to talk about today. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in the heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Punishing, now this sounds strange to our sensibilities here in Western civilization. Punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Now let me interrupt myself right there. This is so disagreeable to us on the surface. Why should my children be punished for my sins? Well, you've got to understand the way the Hebrew mind thinks and you've got to understand the rest of the commandments in the Old Testament God made it clear, I'm not punishing or I'm not holding children guilty for the sins of their parents. Uh, in fact, by the time you get to Ezekiel, Israel had said, well, God's not happy with us, but it's not our fault. It's our parents' fault. You know, and God says, you are taking a commandment way out of its context. And he says on at least three occasions, the soul that sins, it shall die. God was not saying I would hold Justin Smith guilty because of what Victor Smith did. God would never say that. But what this word means, he says, punishing the children for the sin of the parents of the third and fourth generations. He's making clear that there is an atmosphere that we place over our children. There are consequences that are placed over our children. And what this commandment says is if you try to put any kind of false God in place, it will have ramifications on your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. It's, it, I wish we had time today to talk about ancestral sin and what it is and what it isn't, but we don't have time to do that. But here's the rest of that verse. But showing love... To a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this commandment says reject all false gods because it will have a residual effect. Just like an alcoholic or or drug addicted mom, has her sin has consequences on her child. Um, He says your sins will have consequences on your children. They're not guilty of your sins, but you don't want that heaviness To have to be carried through your generations. He says, but this is the promise I make further. If you will honor me and if you will love me, it won't be that I'll bless you for two or three generations. I will bless your whole legacy, I will bless your lineage, I will show mercy to thousands upon thousands upon thousands because the power of righteousness is always greater than the power of wickedness. Oh, it's too early to preach, I'm still reading. Then he says in verses 7 and following, uh, I I preach past my time for reading, but those are commandments 3 through 10 that we will be talking about at different times through the rest of the year. This is also listed in Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through 22. Now let's talk about some considerations. What does it mean to reject? Okay, number one, I have embraced the Lord my God. There's no God like him. But what does it mean to reject false gods? Let me show you how important it is the response of a family is. We're going to read Judges. Now, this is even before the 10, uh, I mean, um, not before, it's, it's before Israel has reached its peak, It reached its heyday. But even in the period of Joshua and the Judges, they're remembering the commandments. Let's read the story about a man and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Manoah. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Judges is one of the saddest books, perhaps the saddest book in the entire Bible. Because it just talks about Israel going through this cycle of doing wrong, repenting, being delivered, then falling into the trap of doing wrong again. It's just a cycle of wickedness. Um, And there was a certain man of Zorah, the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had borne him no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, therefore, this is his command to her, Be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. Now, why did God remind her to live in holiness? He he explains it. Because you're going to give birth to a son. I remember the passage in Genesis where it spoke um, of Enoch. And it said that Enoch walked with God and fathered many children. There's something about the introduction of children into the home. It makes us stop and take notice of the way we're living. He says, no razor shall come upon his head for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the wound. Now that's not Nazarene. Jesus was a Nazarene. Nazarene means somebody from Nazareth, but there was a vow called the Nazarite vow in which the, no razor was to come upon the head. No, no, uh, haircuts, uh, just think of the money you could save. No haircuts, um, no touching dead bodies, no drinking strong drink. There was a, it was a special vow of dedication to the Lord. He shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. Now, don't think this is strange that she didn't understand it was an angel. Paul says, even in the New Testament, he says, we need to understand that many times we entertain angels without even knowing it. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And now you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing. For the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb Uh, to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, you know, if it had been us, we might've got close to our wife and say, speaking of wine, (laughs) you've been drinking? You sure this happened? You know, we've been trying for years to have a baby. Um, But this is Manoah's response. Manoah entreated the Lord and said, oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent to come, uh, whom you have sent come to us again that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. Oh, wow, what, what incredible faith. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman as she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Then Manoah arose and followed his wife. And when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to the woman? He said, I am. And look at this. Faith is just blossoming out of this man. Manoah said, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I have said. Whenever we start talking about destiny for our children, God directs the, the answer first to our own devotion. Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. She should not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. Let her observe all that I commanded. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you so that we may prepare a young goat for you. He says, He says, I don't know where you're going, but please wait long enough. To have a meal with us. Perhaps Manoah was remembering how um, uh, Abraham had entertained the three guests and asked them to wait till a meal could be prepared. The angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. He says, Do that. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Now I want to point out something here. And you got this, I've taught on this. The problem is it was about 12 years ago when we did a study on angels. But the angel of the Lord is a special appearance of God in human form. We know that it's different than other angels because the angel of the Lord accepts worship. The angel of the Lord says things like this, about this time next year, I will visit you again. And your wife, Sarah, will bear a son. So he he didn't know that this was the Lord there. And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, "'What is your name, so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you?' But the angel of, of the Lord said to him, "'Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful?' See, he's doing the same thing that he did to Jacob when he was wrestling at the brook Kareth. "'I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name?' And the angel of the Lord said, why are you asking me my name? You figured this out. And this angel is doing the same thing. He says, my name is not something to be casually cast about. You are understanding something that you didn't understand before. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it on the rock to the Lord. And he performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar toward heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame to the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife ever again. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah knows that I have just seen God. So Manoah does what we all do. He says to his wife, well, we're going to die for we have seen God. Now God had said, no man can see my face and live. If we were to see God in his pure unadulterated form, we would die. We would short We'd melt down. It'd be worse than Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> but when he comes as the angel of the Lord, he has another, there's a, there's a layer, if you want to put it that way. It's, it's a, it's a layer presence of the Lord. But his wife, oh, she's so brilliant. She says, if the Lord wanted to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering for my hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. See, we don't even know what the angel did. He just did marvelous, wonderful things. It could have been that they felt a healing, physical healing in their body that had been the cause of the infertility. It could have been that what they saw was something we could not even begin to imagine. And she says, look, if God was going to kill us, we'd be a grease spot right now, Manoah. But we need to understand that God is showing wonderful grace to us. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. I I don't have time to preach from this passage. But I want to introduce you to a concept of the way we ought to live our lives. Just from this passage. It's not in your notes, but you can just jot them down. Um, First of all, when I see Manoah and his wife... And This is what I want to communicate to all of us, to, to strive for these things. They were faithful in adversity. They, they were barren, but they still were responsive to the, to the Lord's promise. Their political environment around them was the worst that it had been since God called them out of Egypt. It was a nightmare economically. It was a nightmare uh, governmentally. It was a nightmare socially. But they still had their faith in God. So don't let this world be the source of your progress reports. The second thing I see about them is that whenever God gave the promise, Manoah was quick to to say, Lord, help us to know how to walk through this. Help us to know how to live out this promise that you've given. Number three, he began to think in terms of faith right away. He said, every time we've tried to have a baby, nothing has happened. But you've spoken the word of the Lord. Now, when this word comes to pass, he began to speak. And I'm not talking about a mind over matter. I'm not talking about positive confession. But he put great regard in the promise of the Lord. And instead of trying to spend the next six months figuring out how it could happen... He says, when this happens, how do we raise the boy? The fourth thing I want to point out is that whenever um, um, we begin to lay claim to the promise of blessing on our generations, we need to recognize our part is important. Our part is important. And the last thing is they realize the responsibility. Are you hearing me, parents and grandparents? And David and Elaine, great-grandparents. We have a responsibility of shepherding holiness. We have a responsibility of shepherding generations. I tell you what, I'm not trying to be worthy today. And for those of you that are new to the church, worthy is W-E-R-F-Y, wild-eyed religious fanatic. We're not trying to be worthy. But I tell you what I really believe the Lord just put in my heart is that little Caleb is a prophetic sign to us today telling us that God wants to bless the child and he wants to bless the parents and he wants to bless the grandparents and he wants to bless the great-grandparents. God is giving us through little Caleb and, and uh, 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 object lesson in this very message today. Now, the second thing I want you to understand, not only do we see the household of Manoah the second thing we need to understand that God tells us to worship purely. Jesus put it this way. He said, those that worship the Lord must worship in spirit and in truth. Listen to Exodus 34. And I'm heavy on scripture reading today, but it'll, it'll pan out for us. Then God said, now this is, this is when they were coming into the land, behold, I'm going to make a covenant Before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in the earth, nor among any of the nations, and all the people among whom you live will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I'm going to perform with you. When God says, I am going into covenant with you, that's a fearful, awesome, majestic thing. This is what he tells us to do as parents and grandparents, Be sure to observe what I am commanding you this day. I'm going to drive out the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, the Jebusite. And then he says in verse 12, Watch yourself that you make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land into which you are going, or it will become a snare in your midst. But rather... You are to tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and cut down their asharim, that's their their, uh, idols. For you shall not worship any other god for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. We talked about this last time. Otherwise, you might make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they would play the harlot with their gods and sacrifice to their gods and someone might invite you to eat a sacrifice and you might take some of his daughters for your sons and his daughters might play the harlot with their gods and cause your sons also to play the harlot with their gods. You shall make for yourself no molten gods. God said, when you go into the land, you've embraced me as your number one, as your only God. He said, you need to be careful that you do not compromise, that you do not cheat on your service to God. I want to tell you, it's not popular today, but we have got to understand the call to holiness. We are not called to be as acceptable as possible to this culture. We are called to be counterculture. We are to teach our daughters and to teach our sons to live differently than the world. We need to tell them we don't dress like the world. We don't live like the world. We don't think like the world. We don't talk like the world. And that kind of preaching is dying out in the pulpits of Western civilization. Because what we've done in the last 50 years is try to figure out every way possible to not offend anybody whose ways are angering the Lord. Do we understand what that does to try to make peace with God's enemies. And I'm not talking about them as people. I'm talking about the spiritual dynamics. Now here's the third thing I want you to notice. This second foundation stone is given within the context of godly families. I want to shock you and I want to tell you diligence is so important because if you read Judges 18, what you find out is that even the grandson of Moses, I'm talking about... a a child that sat on Grandpa Moses' knee had a hand in idolatry. Now, this is not to minimize God's keeping and sanctifying power, but it's to remind us to be diligent, to order our homes after the commandments of the Lord. If the family of Moses can be so affected, so can our families. Now, we don't focus on, oh, I hope my kids, even Moses' grandson went bad. No, that's not my point. My point is that we have a promise. We have a promise that says if we will pursue the Lord, he will continually work for and chase after our children. And that's what we ought to be focused on, not, not a, the possibility of a loved one going bad. We ought to be focused on the fact that God has said, I will work in their lives. If you will serve me, they will never get away from the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Now they have to respond. Now I do need to say this, the word of God makes it clear that each person is responsible for their own life. There's no transference of guilt, but the way we live makes it more or less likely that our children will follow the Lord. Now, don't get me wrong. Great parents can produce rebel children. And rebel parents can produce saints of God. My advice to you is just be slow to accept either credit or blame for your children. But understand this, behind the scenes, God says the way you serve me will have a direct relationship to the forces that work in your children's life. He says idols are not to be embraced or even tolerated by the people of God. Now, loved ones, we're t- this was Israel going into the land. This was a command for Israel and their land. Please don't go out to a strip club tomorrow night and burn it down. And say I'm tearing down idols in the name of the Lord. All that's going to accomplish is a lengthy jail cell, and we'll lose your tithe. Don't <laughs> do that. That's that's not that's not the way we do it. We 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 do not live in ancient Israel, and the land is not under covenant with God in that in that same way. We're in a society that's been declared post-Christian. We're in a society that is pluralistic and whether we like that or not, now we we need to return to our roots, I believe that, but we have to wage warfare differently. That's what Paul said. He said now the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. The thing I'm trying to make is not that we need to go out and do bad things. We don't need to go burn down abortion clinics. Although I think they're as much a, a pagan uh, temple as anything that they would have encountered in that land. But hear me, loved ones. What we need to understand is that in our devotion to the Lord, as for me and my house, we need to be so devout that it will never be said of us like it was said of some of the kings of Judah. They followed the Lord Except for this. And and we see that over and over again. There were a handful of truly godly kings. There were others that at least lived generally the right way. But I don't want it being said at the end of my life. Oh, he did good. He served the Lord all the days of his life. Except for this. Except for that. And loved ones, we have the privilege of living without the except. That's what I want you to understand. Now let's, let's get a little bit deeper here because I don't want us to go over. Theology 101 tells us that we are to stay away from idols. Now you can do much more work on this yourself. But number one, why do we stay away from idols? Because an idol misrepresents God. God. It's the gateway to violating the first and third commandments. The psalmist said, I I think it was Asaph, I can't remember who wrote Psalm 50, but I think it was Psalm 50. The psalmist says, God speaking, you thought I was just like you. So we need to understand an idol misrepresents God and it is the gateway to violating the first and third commandments. First commandment is one God, one only. The third commandment, remember the three is the W, watch your words. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. So much is attributed to Jesus. So much is attributed to Christianity. So much is attributed to God. And true in form to Romans chapter one, What we see is simply somebody redefining God, putting God in terms that are acceptable to this culture and they are proclaiming themselves to be proclaiming the word of God. It's the result of idolatry. The second thing I want you to see is that an idol represents the best effort of the flesh and offers nothing more. You see, an idol may look religious, an idol may sound religious, but the fact of the matter is, Idolatry at its best, the flesh at its best, can only produce a Saul. But true religion produces a David. And every time you think that our view, short of God's word is good enough, just remember, if everything works, if all the dots connect, if all the the T's are crossed, the best thing you can do is produce a Saul instead of a David. Number three, idols are a gateway to demonic activity. Listen to what Paul said to the Corinthians. Um, Now he had told them they ought not to eat food sacrificed to idols. Um, uh, And and this was his reason. He says, we know that food is sanctified by prayer. He said, my advice to you, if you go into a place you don't know if it's offered to idols, you're a guest in someone's house, just bless it and don't ask any questions. You know, like a missionary told me one time in Columbia, I said, I said, David, it's David Lee. I said, David, what is this? And he looked over at me with all the love David Lee can muster and he said, shut up and eat. I said, I just want to know what it is. He says, you don't want to know what it is. And I said, okay. Well, Paul says this. He says, we know, we know that the meat has been offered to idols, but we know that idols aren't true gods. But we know this also, he said. This is why he said don't be critical of those that won't eat the meat. And this is why we need to learn to serve one another in regard to convictions. He says there are those who know that idols are nothing, but they don't want to partake in anything that has ever been connected to demons. This is what he said, what do I mean then that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, but I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. Paul said, whenever you allow an idol in your life, it's not just a little harmless. Oh yeah, this is something I picked up when I was in, um, you know, the heart of Central America or whatever. It was an old, it was an old Mayan God. It's nothing. I don't like those things in my home. I don't want those things in my home. I brought back a lot of things from a lot of places that when I got back home, I had a disturbance in my spirit and I said, this is going to the trash. And he says, you need to understand that demons are behind idols. And he said, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord in the table of demons. And the final thing I want to tell you is that an idol rouses God's jealousy. Now, that doesn't mean God says, I'm pouting with you. You kiss the demon, you can't kiss me. <laughs> no. When God is jealous, He is jealous. But can I tell you something that I didn't understand? I, I guess probably until I had a couple of kids. I found out that it was fairly often that my children would misrepresent a rule. They thought I was being selfish. But you know what they came to understand? My rules were to protect them. They weren't to satisfy something in me. They weren't for me to, you know, just sound like the bull elephant who says, you know, I'm the leader. You got to follow. It was never anything like that. I don't think it was ever about anything like that. But every time there was a thou shalt not, it was an I love you. Every thou shalt not. From a loving father or mother is an I love you to the children. And the children give it time. will eventually understand that. And we need to understand that every time God says thou shalt not, like commandment number two, it's not a thou shalt not nearly as much as it is an I love you. Now, I don't believe this garbage that's going around saying that they were ten suggestions. And it, 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 it's not what even somebody said from this pulpit one time. None, none of our... Pastors. But, you know, somebody said it was, a, it was God saying, oh, just please don't do this. No, it was not. It was, Thou shalt not means don't do it. It's clear. It's not, I'd rather you not do that. It, it's, it's probably not wisdom to do that. God says, do it and you'll die. But he says, the reason I'm telling you not to do it is because if you do it, you will die. It's for your benefit. It's for your love. I know. I know what you're thinking. Yes, I'm a dinosaur, but I believe this is true. Now, here's number two on the outline. I want to talk about home for a moment because home is where life makes up its mind. You can live a certain way at work and after seven or eight hours come home and put on the real you. You can put on a mask at church and say, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His Son, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And you go through the whole Apostles' Creed and then walk away and live a different life. But I want to tell you something. When you get home, that's where the real you comes out. That's where life makes up its mind, as I think it was James Dobson said years ago. Um, That's why in the New Testament, and you guys need to hear me, and I hope anybody listening online, I hope you pastors will hear me. We have made our churches dysfunctional. We have made our churches walk in the flesh by thinking that elders and deacons and leadership in church, we say they need to be a good businessman or they need to be a good, you know, type A personality or a good CEO. I want to tell you something. I know that there has been more damage done to the church by men and women appointed to boards and positions of leadership for secular reasons. Oh, they're a good businessman. Oh, they're good in the community. They have standing in the community. And I want to tell you, I've spent 40 something years that we haven't done it here, praise God. But in my other churches, I've had to spend all of those years undoing the foolishness of putting someone into a spiritual position because of their business acumen. And I don't know where we've got in our churches. Listen, I'm not talking to, this is time out. I'm talking to people out there. You just relax and sip your coffee for just a moment. But I, I we, we have cursed our churches. We have cursed our churches. By saying that if someone has the right kind of personality or the right bank account or the right achievements, we need to put them into leadership. It curses a church. Now, every once in a while, you have a rare breed. You have a man or woman that is an excellent businessman. You have a man or woman that's wealthy. You have a, a, a man or woman that, that has just that kind of leader's personality, but they also have a heart for God. And when you can embrace somebody like that, you get, you, know, you get a double blessing. I understand that. I'm not trying to paint in too broad a strokes here. But when the New Testament starts telling, when Paul starts telling um, the other apostles how to choose leaders for the church, he says, be sure they're full of faith, be sure they're full of the Holy Spirit, and be sure they manage their families well. Now, he didn't say their families had to be perfect because even God's family is not perfect. But he said they manage well. If a child's in rebellion, they handle that situation scripturally. If their children are being brought up, it's handled scripturally. Are you guys with me out there today? Okay, I just wanted to be sure. I'm having a bad eye day. All I can see is Justin and James. But uh, uh, I just wanted to, to be sure you're with me. But what Paul was saying was this. He says, understand this. They've, they need to be doctrinally correct. They need to be full of faith. They need to be full of the Holy Spirit. And when you talk to their wife, when you talk to their children, they are the same at home that they are in church. And let me tell you the way this thing works. He says, if you follow God, you'll have generational blessing after blessing after blessing. And I wanna say this, don't be discouraged if you're saying, pastor, I raised my child right, but they're not living for the Lord. Let me tell you, it ain't over till the fat angel sings. And, and uh, even Manasseh, even Manasseh turned to the Lord at the end of his life. So don't give up on the promise of God for your children, Okay. But this is the way it works in the negative. Let's just look at four generations that the Lord described in this second commandment. First of all, we see Uzziah, who was a father with misguided worship. That's how it begins. Uzziah, when you read his account in 2 Chronicles 26, few kings, few kings. You can count them on one hand and have several fingers left over had the accomplishments and the praise of God the way Uzziah did. But, this is what the scripture says, he had a full blessed life, but when he grew strong, his heart was turned. Loved ones, let me tell you something. Generally, most of us do well with adversity. Most of us do well with adversity. The toughest test you will ever face is is the blessing of prosperity. If, if you're going to blow it, you usually don't blow it when you're on your face before God crying out for help. It's when we get prosperity and we forget the Lord. And what happened with Uzziah, he was a great king and a great man of God. But when he grew strong, the scripture says, he went into church and he wanted to offer incense. He wanted to offer incense. Now, the problem is not that he wanted to worship. The problem is that incense was reserved for the priest. And under God's orders, the priest had a role, and it was not to be even filled by a king. And a very bold priest had 80 other priests standing by him. And this, they're talking to a king with a 98% approval rating. They're talking to a king that is a legend in his own time. And this priest says, Uzziah, this is not your domain. Your opinion doesn't matter here. Your belief doesn't matter here. (coughs) Maybe you think you can offer incense better than us, but this is an abomination from the Lord and you will not be allowed to offer incense while we're on duty. And the Bible says that Uzziah, instead of saying, you're right, what was I thinking? We all have moments when we're saying, oh, what was I thinking? I've got mush for brains. I'm, not, I'm sorry. But instead of doing that, he's angry. And in his self-righteous anger, all of a sudden, he sees the priest's gasp, and he doesn't know what's going on. And leprosy broke out in his forehead. And then in an attempt to honor the king and to honor the sanctuary, they gathered around him and they took him out by force. And it says that Uzziah lived the rest of his days in exile because he was a leper. Did he go to heaven? Absolutely. No reason to believe he didn't go to heaven. But he had misguided worship. And loved ones, I want to tell you something. We need to start taking our worship more seriously And we need to understand that, you know, I hear people say, well, I don't want to force my kids to go to church. Well, you force them to go to school. You force them to go to bed. You force them to take their medicine, take their vitamin. That's just a cop out usually for whatever sin you're harboring. Yeah, I make my kids go to church, or I did. They can all whip me now, but... Growing up, yeah, there are some things that we do. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. You say, well, Pastor, I know so-and-so forced their kid and their kid want nothing to do with church. Well, there's a way to enforce the law of God. There's a way to be sure your children go to church. And you don't want to be heavy-handed. You don't want to be oppressive. But the problem is not devotion to God. The problem is not a family serving God. The problem is that we usually let our flesh get in the way. Now, how did it affect him? He had a son named Jotham. You read about him in the next chapter of 2 Chronicles. And it says that Jotham served the Lord, except he did not enter the temple of God. I know people like that. I believe they love Jesus. I believe they're going to heaven. But somewhere along the line on some website or in some moment of whatever, they made up their mind, I don't need the church. I can serve the church uh, or serve the Lord just as well in my own terms. You see, when, when the, the, the father has misguided worship, it will intensify in the next generation. Um, and they may be doing a lot of things right. They may even love the Lord, but they said, you know what? I will worship on my own terms. Jotham's son Ahaz was a grandson with corrupted worship. He said, well, grandpa said that he could fill anybody's role My dad said, I don't even need the church. Well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship the Baals. And God knows my heart. And what he did is he corrupted his worship by sacrificing his own children on the altar. Loved ones, we need to pay attention to what our views are. We need to pay attention to things that we tolerate. We need to pay attention to things where we say, oh, you know, it's not going to change. My attitude's not going to change it. It's going to change it in the life of your children. And then we go to the fourth generation. The great-grandchildren were sacrificed to idols. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not trying to manipulate you by saying this is going to happen. If you don't serve God right, your children are going to be cursed. Your grandchildren are going to be cursed. Your great-grandchildren are going to be cursed. This is not a formula, and it is not, it, it's not a recipe where if you do this, 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 and this is going to happen automatically, but it's an atmosphere that you create, and it's a probability that you create and i don't want to manipulate you i don't want to shame you but i do want to say according to the word of god the way you serve the lord will make it easier or more difficult for your children to serve god now let's wrap it up cuz we're out of time almost how do we live idol free well we've we figured it out by the first two commandments i am to embrace and then i am to reject I embrace by loving God, by obeying God, by fearing God. You say, Pastor, how can you, do, how can you love God and fear God at the same time? The fourth thing is by honoring God. Someone asked um, Jim Baker one time when he had all of his trouble and went to prison. Somebody well-meaning said, Jim, when did you stop loving the Lord? And Jim Baker, and I think with an honest an insightful and profound answer. He said, I never quit loving the Lord. He said, I've loved the Lord all my life. He said, I quit fearing him. I quit fearing him. And I thought I was so secure in his love that I could live any way I wanted to and he'd just do what he had to do to get me to heaven. He said, now the sad fact is that that is what he does. But he said, I've lost everything. He said by taking that mindset. So we love God, we obey God, we fear God, we honor God by pursuing him, giving him our time and our priority and by worshiping him. But we also live idol free by rejecting. Let me tell you something that happens from, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, but there are pictures over and over again of, of it in the Old Testament. When idols gain a place in the life of the children of God, two things will ultimately be lost. It might take a generation, it might take two, but it will ultimately be lost. We lose the presence of God, and we lose the power of God. We lose the presence of God, and we lose the power of God. I want to close with the principle of sanctification. Sanctification in itself I reject something, I embrace something. Sanctification is, desi- is designed. And that's sanctification, it's, it's, um, it's what you and I are. We are, it's an adjective. It's, we're sanctified. We're, we're separated from evil and dedicated to God. It's, it's what we are. We are sanctified. But it's also a verb, it's something that is going on in our lives. It's not just a noun, it's a verb. We are becoming transformed in our minds and our living. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And the definition of sanctification is this the separation of an object from evil or even from common use, it may not necessarily be evil, but from common use and dedicated to a holy purpose. And you can't turn to something unless you turn from something and we have tried for generations to turn to something without turning from something and like the children of israel who went into the wilderness carrying idols from egypt we have asked god to bless our journey when we've not we've we've done like jacob's wife we've carried household idols with us god is saying I want you to understand not only am I the only God, but you've got to you've got to understand you gotta break up with your old boyfriend. You gotta you gotta let those idols go. You know, I I've actually tried to counsel people, none in this church that I can think of right now, but in the past, I've actually tried to counsel people whose attitude is, well, I don't expect my husband to be perfect. I know he's going to have an occasional affair. (laughs) And and the person I'm thinking of was not in this church. I said, well, we don't need to do any more counseling. I said, because this is done. You're done. She said, what do you mean? I want you to save my marriage. I said, it can't can't happen. I I said, what what degree of faithfulness qualifies as faithfulness? I mean, would you really be happy if after 40 years of marriage, you said, hey, my wife has been faithful to me 98% of the time. No, my whole world's going to focus on that 2%. My husband's been faithful to me. 99.5% of the time, life's going to be haunted by that half of a percent. No, if I'm going to embrace, I have to reject. It's the nature of things. It's like trying to turn left and right at the same time. Well, Father, as we end our message today, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. We ask you to move in our lives for grace and glory. Ministry teams, would you move into position right now, please? Go ahead and move into position. Because we're going to dismiss the crowd that needs to go. And and when we do that, we're also going to call for people that want prayer. Loved ones, now this this is what I want you to do. This is one of those messages where... Only God knows what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart about right now. Only God knows that. So we're not going to say, okay, everybody that's got sexual sin, come now. Everybody that's got financial sin, come now. We're not going to do that. But we are giving this invitation. I want you to hear me. If you are here and there's any idol in your life that needs to be dealt with, we're here to give that up to the Lord. We're here to give it up to the Lord. You say, Pastor, I don't know how. Well, that's okay. It's the start that you make. And the Lord will help you. Christian friends will help you know how to make the next step. We're here to help with that. But today, what we want to do, you ready? We want to break up with our old lovers. We want to break up with our old lovers. We want to break up, and I'm not just talking about sexually. I'm talking about emotionally, attitudinally, you know, whatever, whatever. Whatever that old lover is in your heart, you've got to let it go. You see, some of you are trying your best in the natural. You're trying your best to have a good marriage, but in the attic, you've still got old love letters hidden. You've still got soul bond connections because, well, I just, it was, it's just so special and so meaningful to me. You need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of it. it. Just as I would tell you to go home and get rid of those love letters, I'm telling you whatever spiritual affection you're holding to, you've got to let go of. You've got to let go of. God is calling us to embrace. And the only way I can embrace is to let go. The only way I can embrace is to let go. You remember I told you about how they capture orangutans in Sumatra. They create a hole in a tree just big enough for the orangutan to put his hand through and grab the food that he loves. But when he makes a fist, he can't get his hand out of the tree. And most orangutans, unless it's been changed through humanitarian laws or animal rights laws or whatever, most orangutans are are captured by those that would enslave them they're thumping and they're stomping and they're snarling but they can't get loose they're pulling but all that's needed for them to escape is to let go and then they can pull their hand out loved ones there's not a church in columbia that teaches a better message of grace and a stronger message of grace than we do we believe strongly there's nothing I can do to make him love me more and there's nothing I will do that'll make him love me less. But I'm here to tell you this, that message does not mean we live any way we want to. And God will accommodate. You got to let go of the nuts. Boy, that that'll preach. What the you got to let go of what's got you trapped. And there may be some nuts you need to let go of, too. (laughs) Stand with me, please. I love you so much. Remember this if you don't remember anything else. Every thou shalt not, from the Lord, from this pastor, every thou shalt not is, I love you. I love you. Here's the way we're going to dismiss, and you'll be out of here in 60 seconds, those of you that need to go. If you are here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you'd like to know how to begin walking with Jesus, please see one of the ministry teams that are up front. If you need prayer for healing or prayer for a specific need, please come to one of the ministry teams that are up front. You may want to just come as the worship team leads us into the presence of God. You may want to just come and stand in the altar and just worship him. That doesn't mean necessarily there's an idol in your life, but you are taking the moment to draw close to him. You may want to stay where you are and just enjoy his presence as we worship together. If you need to go, God bless you as you go. Know that I love you, and we say, may the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you with his favor and his grace and his mercy in Jesus' name. Please respond to his call today. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for being here today.